Well, this is graduation Sunday, and I couldn't imagine what it'd be like if you had to preach after one of your children are going to graduate. It's got to be heavy, you know, and you know, my son Gio is, uh, was up there. You know, as I was thinking through, you know, Ken's son and my son grew up together and know a lot of those, a lot of those kids, and you wonder, you say, what would you say to them if you could give them some advice as they set out on, a, on their path? What, what would you say to them? And, and I was a youth pastor for many years, so I can remember having long discussions with some graduates. And there is one uh, lesson I would always give that it doesn't seem like much, but as I look back on even some of the students who graduated, this lesson is so true. And I call it basically the destiny trajectory. Sounds like a lot, but it's very simple. So a person comes in this world and he's got a destiny to fulfill, a purpose, or he's, he's going to go somewhere. Regardless, you're just not static. You go somewhere. But you get to some degree choose where you want to go. And so you can either make choices that are negative choices, and they don't seem like much, or positive choices. But if you take negative choices, let's just take that first X, and you take a line from the person to that first X and draw a straight line out, you'll notice by the end it will go all the way down. It's the same that's true for the positive. It's lifetime choices, and those choices can either be against God's will or for God, to glorify Him, to make Him known. So let's just say you have a guy who decides, you know, I'm going to just choose some friends that have fun, and then those friends will lead you to places you might not want to go to, maybe the bar scene or the concert scene. But on the other end, let's say you choose some friends that really know Christ, and they'll start leading you in a different path, an upward path. doesn't seem like much, but each step of the way, you're going to make a choice. But if you choose early, the wise choices, it will lead you in one way. But let's say you make some friends, and they take you to a party, you go to a party, and then you meet a girl there that isn't necessarily doing the right things. But let's say you go to a school, and you, you'll maybe meet some friends that will take you in other directions. So you can keep mapping this out, Declan, go ahead. So in each step, either good or bad, it's going to lead you somewhere. Some, you can have ups and downs, but eventually, if you keep making choices that are flesh-driven, it's not going to lead you in a good place. But if you keep making choices that are spirit-led, it's going to lead you to a great place. And in a way, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about two brothers. You guys know this story probably if you've been around the church. and It's Jacob and Esau. But we're going to talk about, we want you to take the Jacob trajectory. So if you can open up to Genesis chapter 25, it's landed on a really good day because this is a very short little message, but it's so clear. It's so clear. And it's just the story of two twins and how they decided to make choices that led them to completely different destinies. So we start in Genesis 25, verse 1. It talks about how Abraham took another wife, and as you read through that, he talks about some of the other siblings, that other children he had. And then you get to verse 10, 
Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. So Abraham dies, and that's pretty much the end of Abraham's story. He's buried with his wife Sarah in that place where he bought that plot of land. And then it goes through Ishmael's son. Ishmael was his first son, but the son of Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. And then it gives you the name of Ishmael's children. Talks about the 12 tribal rulers in verse 16. Ishmael lived 137 years, and it basically says he breathed his last and died. And the reason why is because the lineage of the Bible doesn't follow Ishmael. It follows the promise. And the promise is given to the second son. If you remember, his name was Isaac. And that's why, if you notice, in your Bibles, it probably has a headline, the story of Isaac or you know, the lineage of Isaac. And it begins so in verse 19, and this is where we're going to begin, because now the story switches from Abraham, and now we're going to follow Isaac. In the blessing of Genesis 12, where I'm going to make you a nation, and I'm going to bless you, has been transferred from Abraham now. Isaac is the, in a way, the son of the promise. He's going to carry it out. Verse 19. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife became pregnant. What's very interesting, I'm not going to go deep into this, but if you remember, Abraham had a wife, Sarah. Sarah was barren. She couldn't have children. And they kind of connived and they had Abraham sleep with a maidservant. Here, Isaac learned a lesson. They waited actually 20 years. So Rebekah was barren for 20 years. And what did Isaac do? He went to the Lord. Verse 22. So Rebekah became pregnant and Rebekah had babies. So she had twins and they jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire the Lord. And if you read some commentators, they said she's probably in a lot of pain. You know, she had a lot of incredible discomfort in her pregnancy. So she goes to the Lord to inquire of him, why me? Why is this happening, this pain? And so the Lord said to her in verse 23, because two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So they waited 20 years, because it says at the very beginning, uh, when he was 40 is when they met, so 60 is when they were born. Verse 27, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We'll stop right there. So what you have here is basically you have a war going on in this womb of Rebekah. Two children are going to be born. Two nations are going to be born out of these children. And these children are as different as you can imagine. Actually, the first child is red and hairy. And that's what his name means. Esau means red. It also means hairy. 
He is the progenitor of the nation of Edom who gives Israel all kind of problems later on. But Esau was, Esau was the perfect Kent City kind of guy. He really was. He loved the hunt. He loved wild game. He was a man's man. He lived out in the wild and his dad loved him. This is his dad's favorite. A lot of scholars will say Esau is a, he represents passion. He represents just a man of action. Let's get things done. He's a physical specimen who could just make it on his own. He was a man's man. Actually, I was reading a book this week that said we've got to be very careful about stereotyping Esau because that's toxic male masculinity and we don't want toxic masculinity. Well, he was a man's man. And if you're around men in a deer blind, you know that they respect a guy like that. Right, TJ? You respect a guy that can snap another man's neck in two. TJ lived for that. Right, TJ? He, see, he won't deny it. He won't deny it. And then the other son that was born was named Jacob. Jacob was loved by his mama, and he stayed in the tents with mom. So he probably learned how to cook. He probably learned how to read. and He didn't go out too often with his brother Esau. His name means literally heel grabber or Some Hebrew scholars say it's the idea of a deceiver. He's trying to absorb everybody else to get his own way. But Jacob, you could say, represents a man who does, and we're going to see, have a heart for God. He's got a passion. He wants things of God. And so there's a war going on, and I would like to submit, really, that this war is going on inside of you. There's two of yous. There's the flesh, And then there's the spirit. The flesh wants what it wants. It grabs what it wants. It gets what it wants. It gets mad. But the spirit is more sensitive. Waits a little bit longer. And so these two are at war with each other. It's a very interesting thing. If you read in verse 23, it says the Lord said to her, because she's wondering, what's going on in my womb? And he's saying, what's going on in you is, is actually there's deeper things going on in you. Because two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger because one people, these are just two boys. Well, God is giving basically a long-term perspective. These guys are going to be fathers of countries. And Edom is always going to give a hard time to Israel. Especially as they go back through the promised land. Edom goes to war with them and But he does give this prophecy. One people will be stronger than the other, and it's going to be the younger one because the older is going to serve the younger. Now, this, if we just get off the the trail for a little bit, this is what I'm going to call a top-shelf issue. He is giving a prophecy about the future, about the destiny of a person that God only knows. This is a big discussion on the sovereignty of God. Does God elect the future of people? Did he elect that Esau was going to serve Jacob? Because if you read in Romans 9, he writes this, well, here you can do the quote, the top shelf, the older will serve the younger, but in Romans 9, literally, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And there's this, there's this confusion. Does God choose? Who's saved? Who gets to go to eternity? How do we know? And there's... I mean, we can argue about, to me, this is what Martin Luther calls a top-shelf issue. Some issues we just don't understand fully, 
and to try to understand them fully will just cause all kind of confusion. I'll just tell you what, I talked about this issue in seminary for one whole class. That's all we talked about. The sovereignty, God in control, and the free will of men. But today, I want to just stay in the bottom shelf. Your choices for your future are in your hands. And how are you going to make those choices? So let's go to the story. Let's go to the story. And the story starts in verse 29. It's a simple little story. It just begins like this. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew. Once, you could say it like this, just another day. Just another day. Nothing of significance probably is going to happen on this day. Jacob's just cooking some stew. Maybe his mom told him to make dinner for everybody and I mean, really, nothing big's happening here. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew. And I would say, you really never know what's going to happen on a day. So, don't just assume it's just another day. Things and my choices don't matter. They do. Every day matters. So, here it goes. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, and he's famished. So apparently Esau is out hunting. Are you looking for some deer? It's a bad day. He's going to check the traps. Check the, uh, put a, he put a pile of carrots, some bait out there, and he's going to check that. Waiting up in the tree, nothing, all day long. Maybe he went to a different site. Checking the trails, checking, he see any, any signs of hoofs on the, the dirt, nothing. He's famished. The hot day, he comes back, he's famished. And there's Jacob by the tent, cooking, smelling that lentil soup. Lentil soup is just some vegetable soup that has a red broth. I don't know if he had a few pieces of meat in there, but Jacob is cooking in the savory spices. And Esau's famished. And he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished, or we'd say it like this, I'm starving, man. Just give me some of that. I'm going to die here. He even says that in verse 31. Or verse 32, he says, look, I'm about to die. But Jacob replies, all right, all right, let's make a deal, man. I'll make a deal with you. Aha, I got you. All right, you sell me the birthright, and I'll give you some stew. People say this is his first act of conniving. I got him where I want him. Let's make a deal. All right, I'll make a deal. You that? Yeah, I'm starving. I'm about to die. Really, Esau, are you about to die? I, I'm just telling you, I'm just starving. Just give me some of that soup. And so Esau said, ah, birthright, schmirthright, no big deal. What's, what's a, what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me, promise to me. This is almost an oath before God to me. Come on, what are you going to do? So, I mean, it's just no big deal. It's another day. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. If you read that, it doesn't probably sound like a big deal. It doesn't sound, it's just another day. But Jacob said, oh, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. 
He ate and drank and then got up and left. So was he really that hungry? Just Was he really going to die? Ate some Sioux and just took off. So Esau, this is how he sums it up. So Esau despised his birthright. So here's the choice. Choice is simple. And I think you have this choice every day. The choice is between soup. Soup. Just some soup. What is soup? Soup represents the satisfaction of my immediate desires right now. What I want, you know. Just soup. I'm hungry. It's, it's having a mind that can't see too far down the, down the road. All I care about is right now. Just give me what I want right now. Yeah, but what about the deeper things? Hey, all my friends are going to the bar. I know it's not smart to go to the bar, but I want to go to the bar. What's the big deal? Yeah, but do you know where that can lead? Who cares where it can lead me? I just want to go there right now. I just want some beer. It's just I'm famished, you know? Been working all day. Don't I deserve that? Yeah, but you know what kind of ladies go? I don't care. I just want some right now. Does, didn't you hear the sermon last week that God wants you to live a noble life? Oh, noble life, birthright, schmirthright. No big deal. What is the birthright? Let me tell you about the birthright. Do you remember when I told you, Genesis 12 too, God made a promise to Abraham, I am going to bless your people and their people and their people. Those who bless them I will bless, those who curse them I will curse. The birthright was not only property, you get the property of the father if you're the firstborn son, but you get the promise of the covenant that God will be with you. Your heritage will carry on the lineage of great kings. Esau couldn't care less because he was hungry. He was hungry. He makes a deal to satisfy his immediate desires. The daily choice, the daily choice of super birthright will determine your destiny. Do you make choices? that are to fulfill your passions right now, what you want, how you feel, or do you make choices that are for God? I mean, it's really not hard. We can make this a really complicated message, but this is the choice you make every day. Look at this. Go to the next slide. It's interesting. Hebrews gives a warning, the book of Hebrews. So if you go to Hebrews, Hebrews makes it very simple. And it's Hebrews 12, 16. So it begins by saying, and this is a warning to just tell you how to live. And it's, the Bible's very practical, very simple. And it says, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. So how does the New Testament writer describe Esau? Calls him godless. Godless means Esau really did not put God first put himself first. Godless means I just really don't care about the things of God. I don't think about him. He's kind of the last resort. I'm first. And it describes why he's godless. He's godless because for a single meal, he sold his inheritance. For a single meal, one little meal, he gave up what could be an amazing blessing. People do this all the time. For a single experience, they'll sell their purity. 
For a single funny joke in front of ten guys, they'll sell their dignity. For a single day of fun, they'll sell their, their lives. It's sad how people do this all the time. Some of the funerals I have to do are because people have made a choice that put them in a place because they made a single choice or a couple single choices. And at the time, ah, the things of God can wait. Birthright can wait. It's a very simple message. It goes on to keep saying, afterwards, this is verse 17, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So later on, he realized what he lost. It's too late. It's too... Listen to this quote. This quote is amazing. This quote, I think, sums it up. To prostitute oneself. So this writer is saying, um, in the original Greek, the idea of sexual immorality and godlessness is kind of the same thing. Sexual immorality is faith. It's being unfaithful, and he's saying godlessness is being unfaithful to God. You're prostituting yourself to other idols other than God. So you'd rather have other lovers than God. That's the intent. So to prostitute oneself, as in Esau's case, means to be bereft of any spiritual values. That means I really don't care about what God says. I don't care. Because I'm Esau. I'm a man's man. I'm a tough guy. I'm with the buddies out of camp. Or I'm with the ladies. We go clubbing and we dance. I don't care what God has to say because I'm my own person. They're bereft of any spiritual values. That's huge. Seriously. I mean, this is, this is meeting where the rubber meets the road. Do you know how many people in the church don't really care what God thinks? Because they want to be Francis Schaeffer puts it like this. The flesh, he calls it the mannishness of man. They want, to be, they want to be strong and powerful and just on their own instead of relying on God. One writer says, you know who's the most dependent person who ever lived? Jesus. For God, he says, for without God, he can do nothing. And then he wants us to say, for without me, you can do nothing. But the Esau says, I can do it on my own. Keep going, it says, to put the needs of the immediate moment ahead of any other considerations. What are the immediate needs of the moment? Usually passion, feeling, desire. To put feeling ahead of conscience. To give away much. This is a scary one. To give away much and receive back little in return. He just had a bowl of soup. How long did that bowl of soup last him? How long will that night at the bar last you? The daily choice that you make determines your destiny. It's incredible. It's so simple, but it's so hard for people to really believe this. Each decision moves your trajectory. And so what Hebrews is saying is don't be an Esau. Be a person of valor and dignity. Self-controlled. 
waiting patiently for the birthright to come true. So you can look at it like this. You can say, what, what do you want? What say you? What do you want? Do you want to go, you want the crown or do you want shame? Yeah, but do you know how hard it is? Yes, I'm a human being. A lot of people come up to me as a pastor and they'll say, you just don't understand because you're a pastor. You don't understand how life is out there. It's really tough. You don't get it. You probably heard me say this, but I'll, I'll never forget. One guy came in to me and he said, you don't, you don't understand how fun parties are. You just don't understand. And I said, no, I do because I really like beer. You're a pastor. You shouldn't like beer. I said, oh, okay, so... Here's the deal. It's wrong for me as a pastor to like beer, but you don't, it's okay for you to, right? He goes, well, you're a pastor. Yeah, but you're a Christian, aren't you? What's the difference? What's really the difference between me and you? Well, you, a lot of people are watching you. Aren't they watching you too? Well, you kind of, you have a job where you represent Christ so you don't? I um, had this slogan when I was a youth pastor. I had three. And Mike, you remember that. Do you remember Purpose 3 is for me? Do you remember that slogan? A little bit? So Mike and I work with the youth. And I can remember one year I wanted to have like a vision statement. My vision statement was Purpose 3 is for me. And what that meant is there's three kind of youth groups you can have. You can have a youth group that is just fun. We're just going to have fun. And we're going to have play all the secular songs and, you know, dance and maybe have a five-minute gospel, but we're going to have fun. Or purpose two is to be what I would call more, we're here to shelter our kids from the world. And so we take all of these songs that are secular, but we find the Christian artist that plays the same kind of music, but it's make sure it's just Christian music. And we, instead of going to dances, we have a banquet. And so we're sheltering, having it's, it's what it's called a counter, it's a completely different culture, but it's to protect everybody. Or we can have people prepared in youth group so they're ready to be sent out to a world to reach a world. So sometimes parents won't like what I do, but sometimes the cool kids won't like what I do. It's a purpose three, and the purpose three is a long-term future, so you will have impact on the world. And I said, usually each one of those people, when they come back to when they go to school and they leave the world, each one of these you'll, have, you'll see a different result in about five, ten years. And it's true. Purpose one, if you just enter, trying to entertain kids in a youth group, once they get out in the world, they're going to realize there's a lot more fun at beer parties and be in the backseat of cars. I don't need to go to church to find my fun. So it will fail. If you are just inculcating or trying to keep kids away from the world, when they come back, they're going to say, oh, I miss youth group. We had so much fun. I just had a, it was the only time I ever had any fun. But if you prepared them for a world where they have real Christian convictions, they're the ones that come back and say, Pastor Chris, I'm, I'm discipling this person. I'm leading this person to Christ. And I really have a passion to go into ministry to reach the world. This one... Oh, you can make those decisions on the bottom. It doesn't matter. Go ahead and choose that. It's just one time of having fun. No big deal. Really? Where does it lead? This group 
you can protect them, but are they really being used for the glory of God or to just stay home? The third one is to say, you've been designed to bring glory to Christ, to reach a world that's lost. They're blind. You have been gifted to be a strong, courageous person. But you're also an example that people need to see how to do it right because nobody really knows. What's your choice? I'll tell you what though, purpose three is for me. So it's very simple. And as simple as this, your daily choice, your daily choices determine your destiny. What do you want, soup? Or do you want a birthright? 